and welcome to Studying the Steps, where we take a deeper dive into the 12 steps. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery helps us study individual steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Through her personal experience and knowledge of working the program, she gives insight on how to apply and practice the spiritual principles being studied. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Please note, the curriculum we teach through our programs at Maggie's is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group, and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. My name is Colleen and I'm an alcoholic and this is step study. Today we're covering steps eight and nine. So I do want to just begin by qualifying myself a little bit, just so you know where I'm coming from. And I'm going to run through the first few steps. My sobriety date is June 3rd, 2017. I have a sponsor. Her name is Amber. She has taken me through this book and this work. I have followed her direction. So I have a date. I have a sponsor and I regularly attend meetings, I sponsor, and I try to live my life on a daily basis guided by this program and a God of my own understanding. So at this point in step eight and nine, you know, in step one, we admit we are powerless. In step two, we are coming to believe in a power greater than ourselves, which is a process and a journey that has continued throughout my entire sobriety. My relationship with my higher power is constantly ebbing and flowing and changing. And my relationship with this higher power has become stronger through this work. I'm asking God in that third step to guide my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions. Every morning I do upon awakening and I ask him to show me what his will is for me. And throughout the day, when I get off track or off course or find myself acting in self, I go back to that higher power and ask him again to redirect me. That's why reading upon awakening is so important for me because I do drift into self often and need to know like, that I have a higher power and I have principles of this program and uh, guides to my life that I'm trying to work with God to maintain. So in step four, we are taking an inventory that is a resentment inventory, a fear inventory, and a sex inventory. And that's going to be important today when we talk about eight and nine. But in steps four and five, um, in that fourth step, I find out a lot about myself, right? I find out how selfish I am, how my selfish behavior has impacted others, how that self-will manifested in so many different ways has caused harm to myself and others and society and the community and has created so much dysfunction in my life. And in that fourth step, I see all the areas that I've caused harm to my fellows and to this world. And those are the things I'm going to be cleaning up in eight and nine to the best of my ability. In five, I'm admitting to God to another person the exact natures of my wrongs. And part of my amends list comes from that fourth and fifth step. And six and seven are so important to me because in four and five, I'm figuring out my exact nature and those things that cause the harm, the areas I fall short in, 
and all of the stuff that isn't working in my life. In six and seven, I take those defects to God, right? In six and seven, I'm looking at my defects. And in seven, I'm finding the ones that I believe are objectionable. And when I don't find things objectionable, I go to God with them. Um, because in order for God to remove the defects of character, I have to ask him to remove them, which means I have to find them objectionable and ask God to remove these defects of character. Now, in talking about that, it is so important to know the defects and ask God to remove them and begin to work on that stuff. Because when I'm going to make an amends, these are the things that I'm changing. So when we're talking about amend, so if we're looking at like a piece of clothing, right, and we're going to get it mended. So if I'm going to alter my pants and get them hemmed to mend that, it's going to be permanently changed. And that's how I look at my character defects, right? So if I have an area of my life, let's say dishonesty, that's defective, and I mend that dishonesty, it is changed. So I therefore am honest. So when I'm going to make an amends, it's going to be a changed behavior. Because when I go and make an amends, I want to be changed and honest about the follow through of what I'm going to change. In the book, when we start talking about eight and nine, after step seven, it says, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. So it's talking about having faith in God, yes, but then that action piece of it, right? And that's the things that I'm going to amend or change going forward, which are the action. So we look at step eight and nine. We create that eight-step list from our inventory in four and five, and oftentimes that creates like a substantial list of amends, but there are some people that we may owe amends to that are not included in a resentment, fear, or sex inventory. Um, some examples of that would be like a debt that I owe, because I may not have any resentment in connection to owing student loans or whatever these things are. So in addition to my fourth and fifth step, I'm going to then go back through my life and see if there are any other areas that I may owe amends. For example, there could have been a classmate of mine that I was just very nasty to throughout school or something like that, which I had no resentment in connection with, but could still owe an amends. So I'm going to make that eight step amends list. So once I make the list, I'm going to go through it. And I also want to say that if you can't reconcile anything that I'm saying with the big book or your sponsor's direction, please refer to your sponsor. Sponsor direction is super important with the amends. Um, definitely make sure that you're getting sponsor direction throughout this process. So I'm making that list. And once I've made the list, I... First list all of the people that I believe I owe amends to. Next to them, I'm going to start listing the harms that I've caused. And once I create that, I go through my list and I say, am I three categories? Willing to make the amends, unwilling to make the amends, or the third category would be like never, but sometimes those nevers can become things that I'm willing to do. Now your sponsor will direct you through this process because there are some instances in which an amends may or may not be appropriate. It's circumstantial, right? So um, maybe a divorce or just somebody who is like very harmful in your life or that you have no more 
connection with, there are instances in which your sponsor will uh, let you know if it's inappropriate. So in my list, there were some that I wasn't yet willing to make an amends to. And the book talks about a few different scenarios. So one of the scenarios is the person that I may have like justified anger toward, or I feel like they have done more harm to me than I have to them. And those are the instances in which we go to God. The book says, we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris, which has accumulated out of our efforts to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So those are the instances in which either I'm too afraid or I feel like I've justified resentment or anger or a variety of situations in which I find myself unwilling. Those are the situations in which I need to go to God and either maybe write some more inventory and figure out what my piece is and become clear on what I owe an amends for, and other situations in which I'm unwilling, it could be because of fear or a variety of things. And those are the instances in which I will start to look at, like, do I need to say the sick man's prayer for them? Or how am I going to get over this resentment to make this situation appropriate to make an amends? Because the process of amends is not only the fact that I owe the amends, but it's about the attitude I have in my heart and that willingness to make the amends. It says, remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. And it's talking about that in regards to this amends process, because there are so many situations that I can talk myself out of owing an amends or not being willing to. So for me, this process has required a lot of looking at myself and reflection um, and all of the other areas that give me excuses to not make them so that I can become willing to make an honest amends from my heart. So it gives us directions on the bottom of 76 and on 77 about how to make amends. And there's lots of directions. It talks about maybe not emphasizing the spiritual feature at first when making your approach, but that, you know, our demonstration is to correct the wrongs that we have done. So there's a variety of different ways that I make amends, but first and foremost, it is important that I do an amends approach and ask these people if they are willing to hear an amends for me. And so that starts out with contacting the person and asking if they'd be willing to make an amends for me and setting an appointment. So once I've set an appointment to make an amends, um, I need to be prepared. So I personally made amends cards with my sponsor. So I go through my list, I figure out who I'm going to make an amends to, and I have a variety of different topics that I talk about, right? So first of all, like, is there attitudes and behaviors that I've done? Like, so are there specific instances? My initial amends, um, I did some with the close people to me in recovery. And then I did some of the major ones at first. And so with people like my mom, I had so many different types of harms. So my relationship with my parents has been volatile. I mean, just the alcoholic relationship, you know, and time and time again, my parents would watch me go to detox and go to treatment and make this commitment to get sober. And I would get sober for nine months or I'd get sober for 30 days. And then I'd make all of these promises and all these things, say all of these things. And I'd start to look really good. And then I 
I show up again drunk, you know, and with my family, I caused decades of harm. And that amends was a lot of stuff, right? So I had to look at all of the ways that I hurt them spiritually, emotionally. So with my mom, who I believe is one of my biggest amends, it was about my specific behaviors. Like I showed up late every time you invited me to dinner or I was drunk at your wedding. So some specific events, but in the amends to my mom, it was so much more meaningful to, I believe both me and her to list the variety of ways that my behavior over time affected her, right? Because over the course of my alcoholism, I caused her to worry, to not get sleep, to stay up looking for me, to disappear and not communicate with her, to constantly take all of her attention and time away from her other relationships, like her, with her husband or with my brother, you know, the variety of harms weared on her. So in my amends to my mom, I discussed all of these ways that I believe I have affected her, right? The sleepless nights, the financial drain, uh, the having to travel to see me in treatments, that constant fear and worry. So when I approached her in that amends, I talked about these things. And as a result of that, like when I talk about amending behavior, it's an agreement to no longer cause her to experience unneeded fear, worry, restless nights because of me, right? So just last week I went home to visit with my mom. And so these are ideas that are a living amends in our relationship. So when things come up in my life, uh, for example, I interviewed for a job a couple months ago and she was curious, like, oh, how to go? How, what's going on? Did you hear back? And because of this living amends, when I talk to her, instead of engaging her in my chaos or wanting her to rescue me from my feelings, I'm like, oh, I just haven't heard back yet. Instead of spreading my fear and worry and doubt and all of these other things onto her. So for me, that's a big part of my living amends to not continue to cause the behaviors that she's experienced from me before. You know, when I have a bad day, I'm not going to just call my mom up looking for this emotional support and worrying her for no reason. When I have a bad day, I call my sponsor and deal with my stuff and not put those heavy things that my mom can't fix on her because she's my mom. She's going to always want to make me feel better, but because I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not going to suck the joy out of her heart to fix me, you know? And, and that's just a piece of a living amends um, that's important to me. And same with like all of the relationships in my family, you know, my mom suffered because I was a bad family member. So now when I go home for a weekend or whatever, I make it a point to nurture the relationships in my life that I've neglected for years, you know, just showing up differently as a family member. So that's kind of what my amends look like. Uh, I make the cards, I make an approach and I talk about specific events, specific behaviors. And when I do make that amends approach and I have the conversation, are you willing to hear an amends? These are the things that I've done. These are the behaviors that have harmed you. These are the specific instances. And then after that piece, the most important for me is what have I left out? Is there anything that you need to talk about? 
right? I don't know how you guys drank, but so much of my alcoholism is fuzzy and I don't remember. Or my behavior was so selfish and I was so inconsiderate that I can't even think of the different types of ways that I've affected other people. That piece of the amends has been so important to me and I have learned so much about how I've harmed people through those conversations. Because when I open it up and I say, what have I left out? How else have I affected you? It creates this dialogue where they can show me like what I've done, right? Um, and at the end of that, like not I learn a lot about myself, but I'm starting to repair this relationship. And they tell me what I've left out. And you know, the final piece of it is what can I do to make this right? And I have heard a variety of things. So I'm gonna refer back to 77 in our book, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So when I'm looking at that, like I am listening to these people that I have harmed and injured and hearing how I've affected them and how I can go forward in our relationship and fix the areas that I've fallen short in and make that commitment to not hurt them in those same ways again. Um, you know, and I have had such a variety of feedback of what I can do to make it right. On 82, it talks about sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't. Uh, but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Um, passing all understanding is the patient's mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today or would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he say that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? So that's kind of what I was talking about in the fact that we don't know exactly how we've harmed these people. And that just the demonstration of not drinking is not good enough, right? And the attempt there is to have better relationships and repair what we've done. Um, and so when I ask what I can do to make it right, oftentimes people say, oh, just keep doing what you're doing or just stop drinking, right? The conversations that I have with my sponsor about it pretty much end in that's not good enough. So for me, an amends is not an amends unless I'm taking action to fix it or change it. If somebody says, oh, just keep doing what you're doing or just don't drink again, or, you know, I then walk away from that asking them if there is anything that I can do that you think of, please let me know. And also if that keep doing what you're doing comes up, I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, so what is it that I'm doing? I'm attending three meetings a week. I am working with another alcoholic. I make myself a little list of the actions that I'm doing that are keeping me current in my recovery. Keeping that recovery could be part of the amends. So yeah, so those are pretty much the personal amends. There's a variety of different amends, right? So 
the financial amends for financial amends, you know, get on a payment plan or all of those things. I had lots and lots of student loans when I got sober, you know? And so that's another area I had to tackle was the financial amends. So I went to my student loan people and I went to the credit card people and I just started being a responsible human being, right? Um, I sat down with my sponsor and we looked at my finances and figured out how much do I owe, how much do I make, and how much can I set aside for my financial amends? When I first got sober or when I began my amends, you know, I was working a $10 an hour job, 40 hours a week. So at that time I was allocating like maybe $50 a week toward my financial amends. But then as my income increased, so was my ability to pay back. So I approached all my financial people. Um, I said, I know I haven't paid you. (laughs) I know I owe you money. This is about how much I can pay you. Um, Can we set up a payment plan? And I did that for my financial amends. And I've, I've had a variety of experience making amends. I have a childhood best friend who we both started drinking and using together. And she got sober in church and not a 12-step program. And I got sober five years later. And, uh, you know, I went to go make an amends approach to her. And she said she was willing to make it or hear it. So I go to my friend and we set this coffee date and I have my little amends card that I'd memorized um, and I have my specific behavior and I have attitudes and I have all of my things that I'm going to make an amends for, right? And I sit down and I say something to the effect of, I've been looking at our relationship, you know, and over the past year, I've done some work around myself and I see that throughout our friendship, there are these areas that I've harmed you in. Um, and I start to talk about the areas that I've harmed her in. I was taken aback. She was very, very angry with me um, and started screaming and saying, well, you did this and you did that and you did this. And what about the time this, you know, and these specific directions in the book tell us that our behavior doesn't matter. When I go and I'm willing to make that amends, the entire thing is about what I have done to harm the other person and they get to talk. I don't get to defend myself. I don't get to justify. And I don't even get to interpret a situation that they're talking about and tell my side of it. You know, that has been one of the hardest pieces of amends for me because I get to sit there and listen. It is their experience. I suit up and I show up and I go with an attitude of setting it right. And what my feelings are have nothing to do with this. I am going to own my behavior, say what I've done, listen to what they have to say, and that's it. I don't get to sit there and say, well, you've gotten that one wrong, you know, or you really don't know how I was feeling in that situation. My intentions were... You know, the entire point of amends is looking at how they have been affected, right? Like, it doesn't matter what we have to say about it. It is about when it goes back to like fitting ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people about us. And that's it, right? So the directions tell us like, become willing, suit up and show up, go there, own your behavior, and the results are not up to me. And that's 
what the directions are. And I agreed at the beginning to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And this is the piece. This is the part that takes the most courage for me personally. And that's why it is so important for me to have a relationship with God when I get to this part, because there are so many amends that I have had such hard times. You know, I'll sit there with my sponsor and I'll practice an amends and I'll talk about all of the things and I'll have all of my information but then I'll be going to make an amends. My other girlfriend, Marissa, she and I, friends for a long time, both sober and not together. And I go to Florida, I get on this airplane because I'm going to make a specific trip to make an amends. So I have about four amends that I'm going to go do on this trip. So I fly to Florida and it's my friend, Marissa, and she and I went to a 30 day treatment together and we got out together and we went to the same halfway house together. And um, we were roommates in this halfway house and I relapsed and hid it from her. And I dragged her into my dishonesty and I drove her under the influence to meetings. And I played this whole scenario out of, you know, being this person that was sober and I wasn't sober. So I fly to Florida and I'm going to make this amends and, um, I make this approach and we sit down, we go out to dinner, we're sitting at Duffy's. I remember the whole thing. And so now it's a commitment because this is the whole dinner, right? So we're going to sit through a meal. So we go and we sit down and we have this dinner and I start listing my behaviors, you know, and I was dishonest and I was manipulative and I drug her into my dishonesty because she was vouching for me at this halfway house that I was doing well. And that wasn't true. So I dragged her into my dishonesty about that. Um, and I was driving her drunk and I was driving her on other stuff too. And I go and I make this approach and, you know, 10 minutes into the dinner, she's not very happy and she's unwilling to hear the rest of this. And again, I just get to sit there and listen to what she has to say about it. So there's that. And then, you know, there are some other amends that I've made that have been absolutely beautiful. Another dear friend of mine in Boston had um, died of an overdose and she and I, we grew up together. And while I wasn't able to make a direct amends to her, I was able to sit down with her parents, her mother and her father. And the amends that I made to them was, it wasn't, I don't know if it would be a traditional amends, but I went and I had dinner at their family home and we sat and we reminisced about Laura and we talked about her and we rehashed memories. And we had this beautiful evening of conversation to just remember her as a human being, you know, and I continue to stay in touch with them and call them from time to time. So that's a piece of an amends that I've made. Um, I've also had to come up with some very creative ways to make amends, right? Um, there were just tons of times that I drove drunk. And in those cities, I've, you know, donated to the community garden or some other way to make an amends indirectly to the people in that community. That has been a different type of an amends for me. So... When it comes to more of the media amends, I know Stephanie loves the story or likes to hear about it. I will say that through each one of these amends, the first one was scary. The second one was scary. And I'm not going to lie. Frankly, most all of my amends, I have fear going into them. And I get to pray and ask God for some help and some courage and some direction as I go into 
these amends, but we're going to get to the nine step promises in a minute. But each time I make these amends, you know, a piece of the heavy comes off of my heart. You know, it talks about uh, getting right with God's people, getting right with the world. And each time I start to make these amends, I feel a little bit better about my relationships with other people. So even when I have these really hard amends and I walk away, uh, I, I at least know that I've shown up, I was willing, and I've done my part. And something happens, you know, I can, I can never explain how God works, but you know, whether it's like all of this courage that I'm going in with that I know comes from God, or if it's just, I don't know exactly what it is, but like just God being with me and making those amends has helped me grow, grow spiritually each time. So one of my biggest amends was my ex. I was with this guy for seven years and I was sober with him when I met him. And then I wasn't. And then we were both very not sober and just like all of this tumultuousness in our relationship. Right. And I had a year and a half sober and we had a few things that we had bought together. So we had some mutual property. He was in Florida and I had left some of my things at his house, like paddle boards. And we had, uh, about both of our names that we had to get settled at the bank and all these things. Right. So, and this was my most scary amends. So I call him and I say, I'm coming on this amends trip down to Florida and I'd like to see you. And I'd like to, you know, settle some things and just get this all right. Would you be willing to hear an amends? Right. So I fly down to Florida and I get this rental car and we have this appointment to meet at the bank. I go to meet him and I'm calling him and I'm calling him and he doesn't show up and the bank closes and it doesn't happen. Well, the next morning I try to do the same thing and it doesn't happen. And then in the afternoon, I'm like sitting in his parking lot in this rental car filled with fear and my amends card and he doesn't show up. So I'm calling my sponsor from the parking lot and I'm calling my friends from the parking lot and it doesn't happen, you know, and in those conversations, they're telling me like, were you willing to show up and suit up? And were you willing to make the amends? So at times, sometimes that's it, right? Like, am I willing to go to any lengths? Am I willing to go and do this? Have I tried? Yes, I was willing. And I do all of those things. Um, and I get on a plane and I come back home. Well, a year later, I'm going back to Florida and I'm going to do this again. Um, and I call him and I make the appointment and all these things. So then I go to make this amends and he is in a fishing tournament. So he's in this marina and I, he's like, oh, come here. So I go there and um, he's drunk. So of course I'm in the bathroom and I call my sponsor and I'm like, what do I do? He's drunk. Um, is this okay or what? So we decide that I'm going to go through with the amends just because the opportunity is there. And I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity to make it. We do paperwork and we get the property settled and trying to tell him all of the things that I've done. And I start listing and I start saying, I'm sorry, I was drunk at your sister's wedding. And I'm sorry that I didn't say sorry. I regret my behavior at this point in time. And I regret this. And I regret that I couldn't get sober. And I list all of the things, you know, and, and he was angry and he was very angry and he started 
screaming at me in front of lots of people and pointing his finger in my face and telling me all of the things and all of the reasons and asking, why couldn't you just stop drinking? Why couldn't you change? Why couldn't you just be better? Why couldn't you? And all of these things that are these impossibilities, right? Like I don't, and and I didn't have the answers for, I don't know why I couldn't stop drinking except for I'm an alcoholic. And I told him that, right? He was filled with anger and hate and all of these things. And I sat and I listened and I was so scared and I was so overwhelmed and I just had all these feelings and all I wanted to do was run at that point. But I sat and I listened and I said, thank you for hearing my amends. Uh, What can I do to make it right? And he said, nothing. Well, he said some things, but it was basically leave, um, which I did. And something came over me. I'm going down the elevator at this hotel and I walk across the parking lot and I walk out that front door. And literally as I am walking across the street, I felt pounds of shame and guilt and fear and self-hatred and all of these ugly, ugly things literally lift from me. Like I felt like I was 10 pounds lighter as the time, by the time I crossed that street. And it was just such an amazing experience for me personally. The amends was not the amazing experience. The amazing experience was how God showed up for me and came into my heart in that moment. And I was able to see him as such a sick individual and have some love and compassion for him at that point. And just that amount of hurt inside of him, you know, I I could see him for who he was and it made me sad for him, but grateful that I had found this program and found a way out because when he asked me those questions, all that I could think about was like, why couldn't I stop drinking? When I crossed that street, like I, all I could think about was, thank you, God. It's because of God. It's because of this program. It is because of these women. It is because of this experience. Like I could not stop drinking for anything on my own power, but because I came into these rooms and I asked you women for help and I asked you how you did it. And I followed some direction. I was able to two and a half years later, go and make that amends and know that my life had changed, you know, and it's those little experiences that are results of my willingness, God's grace, and some action. You know, the other side of that amends is so beautiful, you know, and and I have an amends to give the women of Alcoholics Anonymous and this program, right? Like my living amends is to show up as a participant in women's recovery, to act, you know, according to these principles and continue to be an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like that is a debt that I owe for having some freedom today, you know? And each day I get so inspired by like, watching these other people do hard things, you know, and I get to do these hard things. And as a result of this, like I get God's grace and I get to be sober. You know, when it talks about, I was willing to go, am I willing to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol? The immense process is one of the lengths that I'm willing to go to, despite how I think or feel inside. Like, am I willing to do the hard things? 
that God is telling me that I need to do to get right with God, to get right with the people about me and to be right with myself. You know, amends is about so much more than the words that I say in these interactions with these people. It is a living testimony of these principles and God's love for me and acting out that third step decision that I made to work with God to change how I show up in this world. My life and alcoholism was very sad. My world was small, but if you were in it, I definitely hurt you. And I wasn't contributing to the goodness of anyone else. Um, my life was painful and it, I felt pain and I made other people around me feel pain. And the flip side of that, like my recovery, like I, I wake up with some joy in my heart. Not every day is a happy, happy day, but every day I am grateful and I'm excited to get up and I feel free because I'm no longer bound by drugs and alcohol and I get a new day and just that, you know, just waking up sober, you know, I get a whole day to go out and see what I can do and who I can help and where I can add in this world instead of constantly being worried about how am I going to get what I want? Who do I need to hurt to get it? And me, 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 you know, so much about pre-recovery was all me, you know, and today I get to like connect with you women and connect with this world and give something back. And it's all because of this program and the hard things like making amends. Yeah. So that's, I guess my, my share. Do, does anybody, can I do questions? Does anybody have questions? I have a question. Hi, Colleen. Um, you had mentioned that you have gotten a variety of answers when asking what you can do to make it right. Do you mind sharing some of those? Oh, gosh. Okay. So one of my aunts said that I have to come do a, a holiday a year. So that was quite interesting. My mom said that I need to call her each week. That was cool. My dad said stay in AA. <laughs> So that, you know, my dad is 25 years sober. Uh, my dad said, stay in AA. What else? Oh, so one of my friends in Florida. So I spent a lot of time on the water in Florida and I had this bad habit of flicking beer caps into the water. So one of my friends said, yes, you need to go clean up the ocean. So there's been a couple times that me and my friends have taken out paddle boards with huge trash bags on our paddle boards and cleaned up the ocean because they were right. I flicked beer caps into the ocean all of the time. That was an interesting one. Oh God, I can't think of any more right now. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Colleen, I have a question. Could you share with us about the part that your sponsor played in helping you uh, work eight and nine? Absolutely. Okay, so first I make my list, right? And then this is a great question. So then I'm going through my list and we're discussing what I'm making the amends for. So there were, for example, an amends that I did not make. So there was this guy, his name was Kevin and Kevin and I like, this was during a blackout portion of my alcoholism where I just was so embarrassing, right? Now we talk about motives for making the amends. So my motives for making amends to him were to look good. I really had no interest in making it right. I wanted him to have a good opinion of me, right? 
So it goes back to all of the motives, right? Like, yes, I may have caused harm, but was it an appropriate amends to make? So he and his life had a new girlfriend, had a whole new life. You know, this was years ago. So really my motives were poor and would that be causing more harm to him in his current life situation? And my sponsor said, yes. Um, and, and that's why it's, it's difficult. Cause you know, I always say this, but self can't see self. So it is so important to discuss with another alcoholic because if there are not actual harms and, and repairs that need to be made, it may not always be appropriate. Now, also on that topic, there were ones that I said I was unwilling to make that were necessary for me to make. And I excused a lot of stuff. So a family friend, I had a family friend who I went to a 4th of July party at their house and I rear-ended their fence. Like I backed through their fence, right? And I was like, oh, and, and they never knew it was me. So I was like, it was a 4th of July party. No one's ever going to know. I never see these people. They, they expected to have a party. I'm sure that they expected some damage, right? So in hindsight, it seems a little crazy. Okay. I'm very selfish, still sick. So I had to make the amends, but I tried to convince my sponsor that they should have expected damage to their property. I'm like, it's a 4th of July party. Of course, somebody's going to hit something. I know him. Sorry. So, so yeah. So I learned in that, that, that no, like you messed up somebody's property. You need to go pay for that fence. You need to figure out how long ago, you know? And so of course they had no clue that I was the person and I went and I made this approach and uh, it was very strange because they're just family, they're family friends, but like, we're not close with them. So I called these people up and I'm like, Hey, this is Colleen. I was wondering, can I come over and talk to you guys? And they had no clue what it was. And I had the conversation and this is another one when they were like, don't worry about it. And so I was like, no, I need to do, I have to make it right. And they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, you don't understand. Like this, this hinges on my life, <laughs> like something like that. So I was able to explain to them, like, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I need to repair the damage in my past. And this is a piece of it. And I would like to pay for that fence. And, you know, so we settled on something and I paid for their fence. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Colleen, I have another question. I was very interested about how, when you were talking about how your mother and yourself related in the sense of that, you know, you and your mother chatted a lot and she was very, she felt very responsible and wanted to know everything that was going on. was very worried about you and all of those things. And you chose to make your living amends to her by freeing her from all the chaos and turmoil and day-to-day -day details of what, what was going on in your life uh, versus, you know, having perhaps a distorted relationship where it was all about you, all about you, all about you. And could you share with us a little about that experience and about how that came about? Absolutely. For lack of a better term, I kind of use my mom as a punching bag emotionally. If, if I was in a bad mood, I'd call her and complain about things that weren't even meant to like 
she was the only one who was going to listen to me talk like that. Right. And when I realized what I was doing and I was being a brat, you know, and in six and seven, I learned a lot about the nature of my relationship with her. Right. Um, and I would do whatever it was to get sympathy or have her try to fix it or fix me and all of these things. So it's manipulation and it's dishonest. I want somebody to make me feel better. So I said a lot of things that were unnecessary. And and in my commitment to do that, you know, my sponsor did it to her mother for a long time. So I had some great guidance in this. So we figured out that in order to have a healthy, effective relationship with her, she is not the one to do that to. So I don't want to leave things out. I want to share the things with my mother. So instead of engaging her in negativity and all of these things, I will share the same information, but be cautious as to how I present it, right? Instead of saying, I applied for this job and I don't know if I'm going to get it. And I'm so worried. I'll say, oh, I just haven't heard back yet. I hope that I get it. You know, it's about the language I use and I want to continue to include her, but not cause worry and the things that I did in the past. Thank you, Colleen. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have one more question. Can you name an example of one of an amends that was on your never list that went over to your willing list and how did that process come about? And never that went over to willing. So yeah, so Laura's family was one that I thought was going to be a never. I at first wanted to do like a graveside amends or something like that. Um, She died of a drug overdose. It was hard for me. Um, I think that it just hit home with the true nature of addiction for me. It, It was a never or a graveside. And I just would pray for her all of the time. Um, and her family without communicating with them. And at some point, God just changed my heart. He really did. I I had known her parents and I just felt like some sort of responsibility to connect with them and communicate with them. And I, God just changed my heart really. Awesome. Thank you. And others. So I do have a couple other of amends um, of people who were unwilling to hear my side. I have a friend, Gina in Florida, longtime friend. There's just so much damage and I've made an approach to her a few times. I have called her, I've emailed her, I've sent written mail. And at some point she just has never responded. And I know that she's getting it uh, through a different friend. So if somebody doesn't want to hear an amends, that's their right too, you know, and, and that's a piece where it's like, okay, that's sponsor directed, but when is enough? Like, when have I tried hard enough? Um, and I'll tell you one more amends. My brother and I haven't spoken in almost two and a half years. He's in Boston. I'm an alcoholic. My father's an alcoholic. He somehow connects the two and just is very resentful at alcoholism and thinks that it's still uh, a weak, a weak will. So part of that, um, he'll communicate through my mom, you know, tell my sister, I see her on Facebook. She looks like she's doing great. He's not ready, but because he's not ready, I continue to handwrite him letters every few weeks of an update. Hey brother, love you. Like, this is what's going on in my life. Hope you're well, you know? So despite the fact he's not ready, I'm going to continue to show up as willing and one day he will be ready. Hi, Colleen. I don't have a question for you so much as just a, a comment or 
a, a sense of gratitude. And I think some of the ladies in the house would share this with me. Thank you so much for your share. And thank you so much for sharing about your mom, because I think that a lot of us were like all nodding our heads. Really, <laughs> really, that really resounds with a lot of us. So I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Very helpful. Thank you. Okay, guys. Any last comments before we close up? Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.